Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Sarashiva Samarambam Shankara Charya Madhyamam Asmadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Param Param Ishwaro Guradmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmiham Om Govindaya Namaha Krishnaya Namaha Shivaya Namaha Paramatmane Namaha Om So he Krishna explains that Arjuna's grief is uh, illegitimate. <laughs> In fact, he says very, very clearly, he says, there is no reason for you to feel unhappy about anything. There's no reason. And uh, that's that's a pretty pretty radical statement, isn't it? The Vedantas are really difficult teaching. It's a radical teaching. You you know when you hear that, you think just a minute. There are certain things where I should feel miserable about. If my wife leaves me. I should feel really really upset. No, you shouldn't. It was never your wife in the first place. <laughs> it wasn't your wife, huh? You think it was? You think it was your wife? It wasn't your wife. You didn't create your wife. You didn't sustain your life, and you, yeah. Your wife was just an object of attachment for you. That's all, and that was your problem. You're feeling sorry for yourself, and there's no reason to because what? Your wife isn't real in the first place. <laughs> I said, whoa. I don't like that idea. <laughs> Why don't I like that idea? Because my feelings are so important to me. And we're saying, what Vedanta is saying is, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are all based upon the, on the belief that th this world and all the objects in it are real. If, if they're real, then you can feel sorry for them. You can feel sorry for yourself and you can feel miserable when things come and go, but nothing here is real. It's all what? It's all a projection of maya. So, and he, so he says, you know, pack it in. Stand up and do your job. Do your duty. Whatever it is, get on with it. You're just... You're just feeling sorry for yourself, and there's no reason. And the reason is you feel sorry for yourself because you don't know who you are. He said, you're eternal, you're unchanging, you're unborn. Huh? You're free of everything. You're, by na you're free by nature of all the objects that present themselves to you, that appear in you. So stop whining, stop complaining, get on with your life. Get on. Yeah, but we get this attachment and we break down, have an emotional breakdown. 
So these first chapters are all about how to handle, how to manage your emotions, your desire, your fear, your anger, all this sort of thing. This is a solution to managing these things. They're not going to go away. You're going to see in a minute that this teaching didn't work on Arjuna. <laughs> so he's got to teach yoga. If this teaching doesn't work, then we need yoga. And the rest of the chapter is about yoga. So, But he's going to explain how it is that nothing actually dies, that everything's eternal, and yet it doesn't seem to be eternal. He's going to explain this factor called maya. And he says, 28, verse 28, all beings are unmanifest in the beginning, become manifest in the middle of their life cycles, and return to the unmanifest condition in the end. What is there to grieve about, Arjuna? Now, what does that mean? That means all beings, all objects and all beings, are always present in what? In one of two states. Either they're manifest or they're unmanifest. When they're unmanifest, they're not non-existent, are they? They just can't see them. You just can't experience them, that's all. But they're certainly present. And then what happens? Then they re-manifest and then you can experience them again. Which means nothing here ever disappears. In other words, nothing ever becomes non-existent. This is why death is not real. These bodies that you see, they what? They become unmanifest. What is the body? Matter. Food, matter. What happens to it when, when consciousness has used up the body? Body's like an automobile. When when you use it, drive it to any many many miles, it breaks down and you send it to the junkyard. That's all a body is. It's nothing more than a vehicle for you to work out your karmas here. And if your karmas are not worked out, then what happens? Another body comes, right out of the same earth. The same existence produces another body, what? So that you can, what? Continue to work out your stuff, whatever it is. This whole creation is eternal, and it's made out of knowledge. Did you know that? Every single thing here is nothing but knowledge. Wow, what are you talking about, Ramji? That's a weird statement. The chair doesn't seem to be knowledge. The body doesn't seem to be knowledge. The mind doesn't seem to be knowledge. My sensation? No, every single thing here is nothing but knowledge made manifest. For example, you have a, a linden tree. You, you have linden trees here. You have oak trees too, don't you? We, anyway, let's take a linden tree. A linden tree every year, 
drops seeds, doesn't it? It, 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 does it have flowers? It does. Linden bloom and tea, huh? It must mean what? That, that the, them, the tree has flowers. The flowers mean seeds, right? Flowers produce seeds. Now, every, at every year in the fall, I think, probably, those seeds fall to the ground. And and nothing and what nothing happens does it till the springtime in the springtime what happens they sprout in other words some time has passed and that water comes and there's water and the earth gets warm and then the seed is in that environment and then what happens now look when the seed is there, if you take the seed and you grind it all up, you just pulverize it just into just nothing but powder. Can you find a tree? Can you find a tree? You can't find a tree. There's no tree there, is there? Wrong. There's a tree there. Definitely a tree there. How do we know there's a tree there? Because if you leave it in the ground, hmm, what'll happen? A whole new tree will come out with branches and roots and photosynthesis and all, it will be what? An exact replication or a, a replication of the same tree. It will have the same nature and the same characteristics and the same qualities of the original parent tree. Which means what? That, not, in other words, uh, that knowledge that created the tree was hidden in the unmanifest. There's a dimension in, non, in consciousness in non-dual reality and consciousness, there's a, an order, a dimension of reality called the causal body or the unmanifest. And this is the seed body out of which all of the objects emerge. But it's like a big seed that contains the knowledge for every object and every process and every force and every law and every principle that's operating in the apparent reality. It's called avyekta. Avyekta means the unmanifest. You can't see it. But how do we know it's there? We can infer its existence by observing its effects. So when you say the tree has died, has the tree died? You know, the form of the tree has died, but has the tree died? What is the essence of the tree? The knowledge of the tree. 
That knowledge doesn't die when the form dies, does it? Does it? How can it die? No, it doesn't. That knowledge is eternal. Think about this. And then, huh? What? Then what? If that knowledge is born in the material world, everything from here down is material. If that knowledge is knowledge that's born in the material world, it will what? It will recreate another tree. The whole world is nothing but what? In the mind of, the, of Ishwara or God or Maya or the unmanifest, these are all synonyms, in the mind of God, huh, all the knowledge of all the form exists in seed form. And those seeds, they're called vasanas, those seeds or those vasanas are constantly sprouting. As, huh, when an old form dies, what? The knowledge doesn't die, it just, what? It starts to re-manifest a new object. A new tree body, a new dog body, a new human body. So when something is not perceivable, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It, it, another example of the uh, unmanifest would be the cloud chambers that the physicists use to track elementary particles. You can't see an elementary particle. You can't perceive it directly. It moves fast, too fast. There's no way to measure it. But there's no way to see it. But how do you get the knowledge of those particles, those bosons, those mesons, and those, those particles that are just what? emerging out of space. The scientists create a chamber full of gas. A gas, it's called, it's a kind of cloud. And then they observe that chamber and they notice that there are little lines. A little line appears in the cloud. That means what? Some particle has passed and disturbed the gas and created a trail in the gas. And they have instruments that can measure when the particle appeared and when it disappeared. So they can tell that what? Now where the hell, they can't figure this out, you see. Where in the hell did that particle come from? We have the subtlest instruments of all and yet we still can't see where the elementary particles are coming from. But we know they're coming from somewhere. We can infer the existence of those particles by their effects. And Vedanta, what? Can, we can, what? Gain knowledge of consciousness of yourself by what? Analyzing the nature of what? the objects that appear in it. 
This is a, an investigation into what? The nature of consciousness, of yourself. Yourself is consciousness. You, we already agreed. You're, you're conscious and you exist. But you're two-thirds enlightened. The only, our only problem is whether or not you're limitless or not. That's the only issue that we have to deal with. The anandam. Anandam means anantam. means limitless. Whether that's a fact or not. Whether I'm limitless or not. So he's saying what? And, uh, he's saying you can, you, there is no need to think that you're ever going to not exist. either as a jiva or as what? Awareness. Did, did you think you're a person? Right? When somebody, that's what you think. You have an identity card, you have a passport, and people call you by that name, and you tell people, I did this, I did that, I come from, I live here, I live there, I married this person, I, 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 I. you think you're that person. <clears throat> Whatever, whoever that person is. Did you create yourself? Hmm? Did you create that person? Just what did you create, by the way? <laughs> Can you show me one thing that you created? You can't. Yet, what? A person appears in you, doesn't it? There is a person in you, in consciousness, that is known to you. It's an object known to you. And you can describe that person. <coughs> so who is creating that person? Where does that person with these tendencies come from? You all have tendencies to do so. I have a tendency to teach this person. This person has a tendency to teach. Where I didn't create, I didn't dream up this idea of teaching. <laughs> do you think? Hey, I'm, I'm, I was born in Missoula, Mont in Butte, Montana, in 1941, with a, huh? In, in a, I, I had no idea what Vedanta was. I didn't know what enlightenment was. I knew nothing. I had no desire to teach anything. All I was interested in was going fishing, and when I got a little later, chasing girls, and when I got a little later, making money, and then a little later, chasing money and making girls, <laughs> making money and chasing girls. And then later, I got interested in enlightenment, and I went to India and did all these things. But hey, did I do all that? Did I, did I plan that out? Did I create that life? I didn't create it. You don't create everything. You appear here one fine day and everything is what? Given to you. How about your brain? Did you make your brain? Did you make your feelings? Did you manufacture those feelings? Huh? Did you make your sense organs? Did you create the sense objects around you? Did you do it? Nothing. There's not one thing you created here. Zero. 
You can see what one of the big problems is because I'm claiming certain things for myself, aren't I? I'm saying I did this and I did that and I blah, blah, blah. This is mine and that's my wife and this is my body and this is my job and that's my money and da di da di da di da da On and on and on you're going saying I, 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 I did this, this is mine, I authored this, I created that, I built this big business up, I drew this picture, whatever it is you did. And yet there's no evidence that you did anything. In fact, you can't do anything, because consciousness is not a doer. And the jiva is just a reflection of consciousness here. It's not a doer either. The jiva is just consciousness reflected in the subtle body. Who made the subtle body? That means who made your mind? Who made your ego? You've got a mind, you've got an intellect. Who made your intellect, your mind, your ego? Who made that? Who made the subtle body? Did you do that? You didn't do that. The unmanifest, Ishwara, created this subtle body. It created the causal body, which is the source of the knowledge for the whole creation. And then it created the subtle bodies, the jiva. And then it created the five elements, the material world also. Every single thing that you experience was not created by you at all. It was created by, okay, call it God. You want the word God? You like that one? Okay, use God. God's fine. It's created by God. Out of what? What, what, huh? Remember earlier. Out of your, itself out of consciousness. Consciousness, awareness, plus maya equals what? The world. Consciousness minus maya equals what? Consciousness. Consciousness plus a thought equals your life, your experience, was experience, your experience, your life, whatever your experience is, you, consciousness, plus a thought, and consciousness minus a thought is what? Consciousness. So what is all this created out of? Out of me. By whom? By me? Not by me. The key to all this enlightenment is understanding Ishwara. That's what he said here. You understand Ishwara, you understand Maya, and you're enlightened. I can't create as a jiva. I can't create as awareness. Because I'm non-dual awareness. If I'm non-dual, there's no possibility for it to move, to change, to create. Creation implies duality, doesn't it? It implies a subject and an object. Like in a normal creation, in a normal creation, what you, uh, the creator and the object that he's creating and the substance that he is using to create are two different things, aren't they? A potter, a clay. Say there's an artist and he wants to make a clay pot. 
He needs the clay, and the clay he won't be getting from his own body, will he? The clay he'll get from outside. And then he's got the idea, and he's got the skill, he's got the, the energy, and he's got the idea, but he doesn't have... He's got to, he needs a substance other than himself to make out of the pot. Because he's in duality. All creations here are dualistic. They require a subject and an object. But here there's no subject and object. So how can consciousness create huh, an object? He can't. But, <laughs> but... There is a power in consciousness called Maya Shakti. Maya Shakti. Shakti means a power. In consciousness, that what? That allows consciousness to what? Apparently create all the objects that we experience. This Maya Shakti, or Ishwara, or God, is made up of three forces or factors called gunas. Trigunatmika Maya, scripture says. Maya is Trigunatmika Maya. Means what? Three gunas are Maya. What are these three gunas? And how does this work? Prior to, the, prior to the emergence of these three gunas, there are three forces. They're not gunas yet. When the jiva comes, they will become gunas. But prior to the... You all know the word gunas. That's why I was using the word guna. Gunas are what? Are the things that tie you down to objects. They're the ropes. A guna means a rope. And it ties you down to objects. It attaches you to various objects. According to the nature of the guna that's operating in you at the time, you will be attached to a particular object or not. Whatever it is. But in the first stage of creation, right, is the knowledge phase. And that's a phase of pure sattva. Pure sattva is what? Is pure consciousness in the form of a fine, subtle material called prakriti. You've all heard that. You guys, yoga, you yoga people, you've all heard the word prakriti, haven't you? You all are pretty familiar with the word prakriti. Prakriti means matter. It's, it's an incredibly fine substance. The self, is, the self is not an object. It's the substance of Prakriti, but it's not a substance like we think of a substance. It's a, prakriti is a material substance that Maya creates when the first guna becomes predominant, when the first power in a, of the Shakti becomes dominant. These, this Shakti has three powers, and what those powers revolve. At one point, one power is predominant, 
then that power goes under, the next power comes up and it operates and then it disappears into the unmanifest, into the causal body, and then what happens? Then the third power comes up and it becomes dominant. The other two are hidden, but they're, they're still operating and influencing, but one power is dominant at any one time in the creation. So this creation is in a constant state of flux, controlled and regulated and governed by these three gunas. Now, in the first stage of creation, pure sattva comes. Sattva means what? Having the quality of sat, existence. So their existence appears as matter. A fine reflective substance that what? Reflects awareness. And when, when awareness reflects off matter, knowledge is possible. So sattva is what is responsible for the knowledge that what? Creates all of the objects that are going to appear in creation. That's the first stage of creation is called predominant sattva. Because you can't have a creation unless you have an idea. And the Christians are right. This, <laughs> I know, they're, they're not right on most lot of things, but they're right on this. This is intelligently designed. The scientists know it's intelligently designed too. They just don't like the Christian's idea of, <laughs> of who designed it. <laughs> huh? But this whole creation is incredibly intelligently designed. Every single detail has been worked out long before any object emerges. And that designer is called pure sattva, pure knowledge. And that's called pure Ishwara, Ishwara. Ishwara is what? Consciousness or awareness plus knowledge. There's no Rajas and Thomas yet. This is why you cannot blame God or Ishwara for the evil in the world. Because Ishwara is not contaminated by evil, by bad and good, by Rajas and Thomas. Ishwara's knowledge of himself is not obscured. Ishwara's reflection is pure in pure Prakriti, in pure Maya, and Ishwara knows very well what it is and who it is. And it, it, it cooks up this whole creation, every single thing. Prior to its emergence, the Big Bang has not happened. The Big Bang comes way down the line. Many, many things have gone into, into have happened before what? Before the Big Bang comes out and the elements emerge and so forth and so on. Then in the second stage, then the sattva has established the knowledge for the creation in Ishwara's mind. And then what? The Rajoguna comes up. Don't call it Rajoguna, call it Rajas. Rajas comes, the next power, the next aspect of this one power of Maya comes up. And what does Rajas do? Rajas is huh, energy, it's movement, it's change, it's dynamic. Rajas, this place is a Rajasic. <laughs> Yoga people are Rajasic. 
They're always busy. They're going to doing things all the time. They're getting up in the morning. They're breathing. They're doing meditation. They're running around chatting. They're doing their sevas. They're this and that and the other thing. When I came here, I was like, <laughs> like, where do I hide? <laughs> the energy, there were like, must have been like 500 people here. And kids, too. All running around and all happy and carrying on and doing and doing and doing and doing. Huh? Just excited and going and going and thinking and talking. And, you know, it's Rajas. It's this dynamic power. And what does Rajas do? It shatters this pure mirror of Prakriti. Just destroys it. Boom! explodes it into thousands, billions, trillions of little bits. We call them shards, little shards of consciousness. Each one of those consciousness reflects light. That's called the jivas. Those are the conscious beings. Ishwar is just one big conscious being that knows everything. And then when Rajas comes, what? The, the mirror of Prakriti is exploded into billions, and those bits are scattered throughout the whole cosmos. Cosmos hasn't come yet, but it'll be there. <clears throat> those are called jivas. And those jivas are a mixture. That's called the stage of avidya. Avidya means they're a mixture. What are they a mixture of? Consciousness, huh? and Rajoguna and Tamoguna. They're a mixture of spirit and matter. Moksha is what? Just discriminating what? The material aspect of yourself from the spiritual aspect. That's all it is. But we have to explain what it is. We have to show how it works and what it is, so you can make this discrimination and set yourself free. So in the second stage of creation, what? The jivas are created with all their karmas. Every jiva has a special knowledge put into it by Ishwara. Ishwara says, to, to make this whole creation work, I need jivas. The jivas are part of the creation and they have jobs to do. So every jiva has a program, is, is a program, is programmed by Ishwara to do a certain job here. The, you didn't come here on your own, did you? Did, huh? Did you come here on your own? I don't think so. <laughs> Did you write your program? I don't think so. Never mind all these people. Oh, you chose your own reality. You know, this, uh, all these people that are imagining that, huh? That they're that they came here and they chose their mom and pop and all that sort of thing, right? As if it was a conscious choice. No, it wasn't. You're a program. Every jiva is a program. That's why, and each program huh, serves a certain function in this creation. And you notice how everything here has a function? How the trees produce 
carbon dioxide, produce oxygen and eat carbon dioxide? Who thought that up? Huh? You notice how human beings, how all the different kinds of jivas with all these different talents, each one operating in a particular field, doing a particular job to keep the total going? What about an airplane? How many, how many types of jiva minds and bodies do you need to create a, a 747 airplane or an Airbus 320? How many types of jivas do you think are required, required to do that? Huh? Lots. Tens of thousands, who knows how many. Not just working there in the factory, but designing the thing and the materials and all this sort of stuff with knowledge of metallurgy, with knowledge of fire. There's jivas with knowledge of water. There's divas of knowledge of pressure. Divas of knowledge of, of, of all, every one of the aspect of the plane. There's jivas who have these knowledge and they all what? None of them created that knowledge. None of them put all that knowledge together. Ishwara uses all that knowledge, huh? To create airplanes, to create buildings, to create bridges, to create symphonies, to create works of art, to create anything. Every single thing is created by jivas with different talents, artists, accountants. You can't create an airplane without money. What about the money managers that are involved in it? What about the guys that are counting the money? What about the lawyers? Oh, there's just infinite number of minds operating to create any one of these objects. Those jivas all got their directions from Ishwara. We, we're, <laughs> problem with us jivas is we're not sure what our program is. <laughs> we don't know what we should be doing. <laughs> our minds are too disturbed to feel, to appreciate our program. Our swa dharma, that's called your swa dharma, your self duty, your self nature, your program. You're here for a reason. You didn't just appear here one fine day to do what you want. Now, you may think you're here <laughs> to get what you want, but believe me, you aren't. <laughs> you're here to do Ishwara's bidding. And insofar as what? as your actions are in harmony with what Ishwara wants for you, then what? You're going to be basically a happy person. And insofar as what? You're experiencing problems and conflicts, it probably means you're violating, you're going against your program. So in that second stage of creation, what? The jivas with all their programs are created. Then what? What happens? Then Sattva has gone down. The knowledge is not necessary so much. The, the jivas have been created. So what? So Rajas goes down and now Thomas comes up. That's the next power. That's the next aspect of the one power, the one Shakti of Ishwara. And what does that do? That creates what? The material objects. Matter. The five elements, air, fire, water, earth, and space. Not in that order. Space, air, fire, water, and earth. From the subtlest to the grossest. First, the ideas of those elements is created. That's at the subtle level. 
And then those ideas split and re those forces, those ideas split and recombine to what? In a process called panchikarana, and they what? To create the gross physical elements. And then what? Now the creation is complete. And the jivas can work out their karmas. Because uh, they need the body to work out your karma. You've got your program. You've got an instrument for operating, to, uh, for functioning here. And now you've got a material world in which you can work out your karmas. When you do an action, well, we'll see. We get on. We'll get move on a little bit. I don't want to jump ahead. The idea is what everything is always present, and Ishwara, what this unmanifest, this Maya, this Ishwara is creating everything. And and you should, if you're a good thinking person, you should be starting to un understand that you better not be claiming anything to be yours. Okay. If you're using the word uh, uh, I, uh, this is mine, or if you're thinking this is my life, or my money, or my wife, or my children, or my whatever, then huh, you've got a, a knowledge problem. You're ignorant. I'm sorry to say. Because there's no evidence that you created anything. In fact, Ishwara created everything. And Ishwar is operating everything and so forth. Now there is, you do have a creative capacity because if the jiva is actually Ishwara, then it has a certain creative capacity and we're going to talk about that creative capacity in a minute. But as far as the basic situation, you didn't create that at all. This whole thing's a setup. You appeared here one fine day your body was present, your mind was present, the world was present, and all of your what? All of your desires and fears were already in you. And off you go. Chasing objects. To get happy. Okay, so. Then he says, he's talking about the self. Some see the, some see the self as a wonder. Meaning Ishwara here. Isn't that a wonder? How, how can you get a, a human being out of a sperm and an egg? Huh? Huh? Does anybody understand that? Nobody understands it. Even the great jnanis, the great enlightened people, don't understand it. Nobody understands this. This maya, this power, is called anirvachaniya, and it means it's inexplicable. You can't understand it. Nobody's going to understand it. Right? People ask why and what it's all about. You can't. You, all you can do is marvel at it. It is so amazing that no one knows what it is. Some see the self as a wonder. Others speak of it as a wonder, and some hear of it as a wonder. Yet, 
Even after hearing about it, people don't understand it at all. Huh? Why? Because it's the cause of what? Of your intellect. Your intellect, the part that's trying to understand, is an effect of maya. And the cause, this was a question we had earlier, yesterday. The, the effect can never understand the cause because the cause is subtler than the effect. It's like ultraviolet and infrared. Can you see ultraviolet or infrared light with your eyes? No. Why? Because your eyes are gross. Your eyes are vibrating at this kind of frequency and ultraviolet is vibrating and infrared it's putting out slow pulsations and vibrations. This is putting very high pulsations, but what? My eyes only vibrate at, at an intermediate phase, and so I can only see a small band of, of light of the, of the whole spectrum of light. And this band of consciousness, what? Cannot be seen by this band of consciousness. We're getting progressively more gross. So anything at the do you do your does your do your ears know what you feel? Huh? <laughs> Why? Why don't your ears know what you're feeling? Because your ears are gross instruments. They only what can what? pick up the qualities of material objects. They can't pick up the subtle objects that are taking place in the subtle body. They're gross. This is subtler. This can know this, but this can't know this. This can, huh? This can know this, but this can't know this. Well, it can, but we'll see. It can't, but it can't. Creation is set up that way. From, it's all consciousness, but consciousness exists in these different layers or planes, dimensions. I'm trying to explain this creation here. You're going to see. It's just an amazing thing. So he said, and everybody's got all sorts of funny ideas about it. This is what he's saying. Huh? You look at the look at the spiritual world. Oh my God, I never heard so many crazy ideas about consciousness and God and the self and enlightenment and so forth and so on. It's just, I mean, it's it's bizarre. I would like to spend, you know, I could spend a lifetime cataloging all of the weird ideas people have about the self and consciousness and God. It's it's, it's amazing. So Krishna's saying that here. Because nobody's really investigated and nobody can investigate it. Why can't you investigate it without Vedanta? Because you don't have the knowledge. Vedanta gives you the knowledge to investigate this reality and see that everything here is nothing but yourself. Vedanta is a means of knowledge that resolves everything into consciousness. If this is the source... And if what? If this is the creator, Maya is the creator, and out of it creates 
out of consciousness, then everything here must be consciousness, isn't it? Because the effect, this is an effect of the creation, right, is never different from the cause, is it? You can't get something in the effect that's not there in the cause. So whatever effect you have, what, is present in the cause already. So what, what we do is we analyze the effects in such a way that we get back to the cause. Okay, now tell me what is this? What is this? The shirt. Yeah, I know you're all, you're all wary now. You know I'm tricky. You know this is a tricky teacher, so no one wants to say because they don't want to show they're ignorant. I'll be ignorant, okay? I'll, I'll play the role of the ignorant one, okay? I say this is a shirt. Ramji. I say this is not a shirt. Okay? Well, Ramji, why do you say this is not a shirt? Because I say this is cotton threads. Okay, what is it? Is it a shirt or is it cotton threads? Come on. There's no problem for it to be both. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't say it was both shirt and a cotton thread, did you? You said, huh? You said it was a shirt. <laughs> uh huh. So now what? I've removed the shirt. I've got. I'm wearing cotton, aren't I? You can say, I've destroyed the shirt. How have I destroyed the shirt? I've destroyed the shirt by looking at the shirt from the standpoint of the cotton. From the standpoint of the cotton, there's no shirt, is there? And from the standpoint of the shirt, there's no cotton, is there? The shirt doesn't say I'm cotton. The shirt says I'm a shirt. The cotton says I'm cotton in the form of a shirt. Okay, now how do I get rid of the cotton? I'm still wearing cotton. I got to get rid of the cotton too, don't I? What's the cause of the cotton? Atoms, protons, neutrons. So I'm wearing atoms, protons, and neutrons. Hmm? Atoms. Yeah, atoms. Atoms. So I'm wearing atoms. Ah, fair enough. Where's my shirt? Where's my cotton gone? Okay, what's the cause of the atoms, protons, neutrons? Energy. Yeah, we can go all the way there. Or we can, we can go through intermediate steps. Mesons. Then pi mesons. Then quarks. Then bosons. Then what? Are they particles or energy? Am I wearing a bunch of particles or am I wearing just energy? <laughs> what, uh, what is it? That I, what am I wearing here? So if I look at it one way, it's a wave. It's part. It's energy. Waves of energy. If I look at it another way, it's a bunch of particles, isn't it? So how am I going to get rid of the particles or the energy? How am I going to get rid of those? What's the cause of the particles, the waves? 
Space. Consciousness. Space first. Well, we're going to back all back in all the way up. You're jumping, hopping. <laughs> space. Don't the scientists say that what? This all comes out of space? For them, huh? Space is the self. They don't they don't know that the space comes out of the self. This is where they stop. Their analysis stops with space. They can't take consciousness into account. Why? Why why can't through scientific analysis, through experience, experiments and experience, you can't uh, account for consciousness. You cannot objectify. Yeah. There's no instrument that will objectify consciousness. They can, there's no way they can construct an instrument that will prove that consciousness exists. Even though the scientist is consciousness, they can't include that in the equation, can they? So they stop at space. Now, where are you, what's the cause of space? Can you have space without consciousness? No way. If you can't, if you have space, if you say there's space, what does that imply? Consciousness. Because you can't know that there is space unless there's consciousness. Knowledge what requires consciousness. Because you can't have knowledge without consciousness. And you can't have space without knowledge. So what? So what's the source of the What am I wearing? Consciousness. Huh? No, nothing. It's not nothing. I mean, that's a Buddhist. You're not wearing anything. No, I'm wearing something. I'm wearing what? Consciousness in the form of a shirt. See, the, that's called inquiry, analysis. Can you argue with that? You, there's no point in arguing with it. It, it, it. It's not open to argument. All you can do is like think about it and understand what we're saying. There is no way to refute that logic. At every stage, you signed on to the logic. I heard you say. Anybody, reasonable person, is going to sign on to the logic. Until you get right to the end, and then at the end you'll find the scientists starting to fudge. Because they'll realize what? They got caught. They're going to have to admit the existence of consciousness as the cause of it all. And they can't do that. Because they're really attached to their instruments, to their intellects and their minds. But this knowledge is coming from beyond the human mind. The human mind didn't cook this knowledge up. Ishwara cooked this knowledge up. See, because if you only have, look, if you only have your, your, your perception, your mind, and your body, and your intellect, if those are the only means of knowledge you have, then you're out of luck for consciousness, aren't you? for yourself. 
There's no way you're going to get self-knowledge, are you? Because you can't see yourself, you can't smell yourself, you can't taste yourself, you can't touch yourself, you can't what? Think yourself, you can't feel yourself. Because the self is beyond these instruments of knowledge that you have. <coughs> so you're out of luck. And all the people that say there's no self, huh? It's it's they believe it is or what those people? Those are atheist people. Why? And those are atheists who what? Who only believe what their their senses tell them. For them, reality is only what they can see, smell, taste, touch, feel, and think. That's it. There's nothing wrong with them. You can't you can't blame them. But they what? They're stuck with this means of knowledge, their senses and their mind. How are you going to figure out consciousness from that? You're not. It's just, it's impossible. It never happens. You can fantasize. You can speculate. You can have visions and create ideas, but uh, you can't actually know or see or experience consciousness directly as an object. You can experience it directly as a subject. In fact, you're always experiencing consciousness only as the ever-experienced subject, but you're ignoring that completely. You ignore your own experience of the I as consciousness. And you believe that consciousness is an object that you're going to experience. All these people that are telling you you have to experience consciousness are totally misleading you. You're, every moment you're experiencing yourself as consciousness in the form of I. Whenever you say I, when you say I, and you say it a lot, and if you don't say it, you think it a lot, huh? which is the same. Whenever you think I or say I, you know what that, you think that what? that the word I refers to this body and mind and to this history, but it doesn't. The word I only refers to consciousness. That's where you see consciousness. That's where you experience consciousness in the form of the I. But no, it can't be that simple. <coughs> oh no, that, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that's a, that doesn't solve any... Yes, it does. It solves every problem. But it doesn't look like it solves any problem. Because this I is just so present. It's so ordinary. It's so always with me. I just ignore it. Isn't that weird? If somebody... If, if you're home home alone and somebody and your husband call, or wife calls you up from the office... And they say, is anybody home? And you say, no, nobody's here. Isn't that right? Huh? You never say, I'm here, do you? What do you say? You say, no, nobody's here. Nobody's home. Well, of course nobody's home. You're home. <laughs> but you discount yourself immediately. Just like you discount the light when you look at this. Just like you discount the threads when you look at the shirt. Yourself is always present every single second. You're always experiencing, you just what? You just don't look at it. 
You don't look at it because you think it's something else. You think it's somewhere else. You think you're going to go on some big yoga journey and, and get your kundalini all excited and blop out of the whole world altogether and experience some transcendental consciousness somewhere. Have a big orgasm with Shiva or Shakti or something. I don't know what you think, but hey, what you're looking for is you, man. Right here. It's you. See, ever-present, experienced awareness. Ever-experienced, ever-present awareness that I am. That's what I'm looking for. The seeker is what he's seeking. The seeker is the thought. You're not seeking something out there. You're not seeking an object. And how can you seek yourself? Because what? You are yourself. See the problem? So when you come to Vedanta, the seeking stops. People love it. I get all these letters all the time. Thank God the seeking stops. I'm so fed up. I've been seeking for years and years and years and years. And when you understand this, then what? The seeking stops. And then life starts to get really good. So, he said, he said, nobody understands this self. He said, and what is this self? The one who dwells in the bodies of all beings. What does that mean? As what? How does it dwell? As the I. As me. <laughs> I am the self. That's where it dwells in this body. As me, as I. Consciousness, my conscious self. And this thing is always indestructible. Means it doesn't change. He just said, weapons can't hurt it. Fire can't burn it. Water can't wet it. All of those objects, all those instruments, all those destruction and creative processes are taking place here. Nothing's taking place here. This is insulated. It's free of everything that's taking place here. Okay, then, so, now he's looking at, he's looking, Krishna's looking at Arjuna, and he's, he's not seeing much comprehension. <laughs> Arjuna's like, Duh, what are you talking about, boss? Huh? So then, then Krishna's, Krishna's going to give him another argument, okay? He's got to give him another argument. He's got to appeal to him on a different level because this one has gone, frankly, it's gone over Arjuna's head. Also, how are we doing? How's our time going? I'm not going to run over. Okay, good. I always swear that I'm not going to run over. And I always run over. <laughs> okay. So he, he's, sorry. He's, he's going to come up with another argument. I get excited when I, hear, when I teach this. It's really beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Huh? This, this lovely uh, discussion these two guys' friends are having. See, in our, our tradition, this, this uh, model of teaching is called Sakya Bhava. 
It's a, it's a model for all the Vedanta teachings. We don't we don't sit up front and act big, okay, and ask you to surrender to us and talk big and all that bullshit that you see out there in the spiritual world. Oh, surrender to me. Oh, Swami. Oh, God, let me touch your feet. Some 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 gentleman came up to me today and he said, I, "Can I come to your class?" I said, "Well, I don't know." What he was very polite. I said, "Well, why do you want to come?" Oh, I just want to sit in your presence. <laughs> God, I'm so tired of sitting in my presence. I, 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 <laughs> just want to sit in your presence. Huh? I'm nobody special. I'm you. I'm no different from you. Exactly the same. That Krishna and Arjuna are friends. It's called Sakya Bhava. We don't want you to. Sur- you don't surrender to your friends, do you? To your friends, you love your friends, you talk to your friends, you're equal with your friends, you communicate directly with your friends, you're honest with your friends. You're not walking around, oh, you're my friend, can I touch your feet? The gurus out there, they want you, huh? They're all gloriously sit up big and dress big and have all this stuff going on, and huh? And they're, oh, I gotta surrender. Everybody sits there going, oh, namaste, namaste, namaste. You know, like, please. (laughs) 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 Talking non duality and what? And manifesting duality like crazy. So here, what? These guys are just, they're, they're, you know, they're, there's a, a, an intense emotional situation, and this one fellow's talking to the other fellow, that's all. And that's all we're doing, we're having a communication here. I'm talking to you, you're listening. You're me, I'm you. It's all Ishwara talking. Ishwara listening, Ishwara talking. There's no difference. That's how we see it, that's how we teach in this tradition. The last thing I want to do is be a big cheese. As soon as I'm a big cheese and showing off and making all these stories and controlling and manipulating people and all that sort of stuff, I'm going to be miserable as hell. Just a fact. You can't. So anyway, so he says now. Now, so he 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 sees that his friend isn't getting it. So he says he gives him another argument. He says, okay. Also, if you consider this situation from the standpoint of your duty, you should not waver. Nothing is more auspicious for a warrior than a righteous war. Hey, you hit the jackpot here, buddy. That's what he's telling him. Hey, what do you, hey, look, this is a great opportunity for you. Huh? He's set up for the thing. He's the best guy around. He's got a chance to really shine and really do what needs to be done and protect the Dharma and like save a lot of people a lot of misery from this evil guy, this Duryodhana. What a great opportunity, he's saying. And you're here you are. You're placed perfectly here to what? To succeed in this situation. He doesn't mention that what? He's got Krishna behind him giving him advice and driving his chariot. 
He's got that on his side. He seems to know that. That's why he chooses Krishna, not Krishna's army. So he's already blessed. He's already got a great situation here to fulfill himself, to work out his dharma, huh? and get moksha in that way, but he's not going to do it. He's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I'm sentimental. I don't want to do my job. So only lucky warriors are given the opportunity to fight an unsolicited war. It's an open gate to heaven. Heaven means you're going to feel really good. You're going to feel righteous. There's no heaven. Heaven is just a good state of mind. It's a, it's a dharmic, pure, holy state of mind. And you do your job, you feel good about yourself and about life. You're not going to some other place. The, the people believe that. But the, that isn't a, if, if there is a heaven, it's not a physical location. It's a psychological location. And we're interpreting the scripture psychologically and spiritually. We're not interpreting these words physically. The reason we're not to interpret them physically because this is a symbol. I told you, this whole teaching is symbolic. Myth mythology and the Puranic teachings are symbolic, symbolic, symbolism. And, and what? And the self has been personified in the form of this Krishna. We're actually talking about the self. It's, when you hear Krishna, it means the self. Either speaking as Paramatma, the self without Maya, or speaking as par or what the self with Maya, or sometimes he's speaking as Mr. Krishna, as Arjuna's buddy, his friend. We have these three. Uh, Krishna refers to these three different aspects: pure consciousness, the Creator, and what, and the person, the Jiva. So he says. He said, but. This is what happens when you don't when you don't follow your program, okay? Arjuna's been programmed this way. Remember, you didn't write your program. If you don't follow your program, this is how you will feel. Okay? You check up on yourself. If you're feeling bad, it's probably because you're going against your program. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So he says, but if you forfeit your honor and refuse to do your duty, you will incur sin. Sin means pain. You will suffer pain. People will speak of your unending infamy. You will no longer be famous, you'll be infamous. And people will, will ridicule you and despise you and look down upon you. For the honorable person, dishonor, not doing what you're supposed to do, is worse than death. Even today, sometimes in, in Japan, you'll find a, a, a fellow who, who uh, at the head of a big corporation or business, who, who does something dishonorable, and he'll kill himself. Even today. You can't live. Well, knowing with, with that. So the only way he can atone for that sin is to kill himself. What? That's already not metaphorical. That's not metaphorical? Yeah, I was thinking you're talking a lot with metaphors, about mm -hmm. war 
Yeah. No, that's right. In Japan, it's not metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. That's correct. It's not metaphorical. When you don't do what's right, you feel rotten. When you lie, or you cheat, or you steal, or you, get, you try to impress people, or you manipulate people, all those things are what? Violations of dharma, of your true nature. And you, if you feel guilty... That's what you should feel. You should feel guilty. You should feel bad because you've gone against what's right for you. Well, gone against the truth. Stand. Your peers... Can you imagine Lance Armstrong, how he must feel? Huh? There's a good example. You know Lance Armstrong? The, was it five-time or seven-time Tour, uh, Tour de France winner? Whatever it was. Can you imagine how he must feel? My God. Huh? He's, and every day it gets worse. Ishwar grinds him down even more and more and more. The other day a guy got a judgment for, was it $5 million? And he's going to keep going at him. People, people hate him. Here was a guy that thought he was a big hero. He was all wonderful. Everybody's patting him on the back. He's worth $100, $200 million. What, his fortune is solely owing. No one will talk to him anymore. Girlfriends leave him. His kids hate him. Everything, huh? Why? Because he's a liar and a cheat. He's forfeited his honor. He tried, tried, to keep, tried to keep his reputation. Because your reputation's all you got here. Huh? You, got, you got a bad reputation, huh? Forget it. Somebody told me the other day, you know, they were being honest. They said, you know, I said, well, how did you come here? She said, well, I was pretty suspicious of you, so I Googled, I Googled the, the web, and I was looking for scandals. <laughs> and she said, I couldn't find any scandals. So, so I assumed that you were okay. You won't find any scandals because there aren't any scandals because I'm not going to do anything bad because I, you know, I value my reputation. <laughs> you know, that, you know, it's just talking psychologically. <laughs> Every time you tell a lie or you cheat, you, you should feel bad. You're supposed to feel bad. And you should what? Correct yourself. You should atone for that. You should make a correction. Your peers, the great warriors, who esteem you now, they loved Arjuna. Everybody loved Arjuna, except Duryodhana. And one other guy, Karna. Karna had a grudge from, with Arjuna from childhood. It was a caste thing. And uh, it was related to his history and his so forth and so on. But basically, everybody liked Arjuna. He was a good guy. And, and he said, they will mock you and ridicule you. They will belittle your talents and say unforgettable things. What could be more painful? Consider this. If you die, you'll gain heaven. If you win, you'll enjoy the world. It's a win-win, buddy. It's a win-win. Because in those days, they, the, the Vedicas believed in heaven and hell. 
And the Vedas talk about heaven and hell. Vedanta doesn't talk about it. But in the Vedas, they talk about heaven and hell. So there was a belief that you will... And if you define heaven and hell psychologically, it works just as well as if you define it as a physical location. It's all the same. We're not interested in the physical location of hell and heaven. We're only interested in the psychological condition called heaven and hell. And hell is when you violate dharma, when you break the rules, when you go against your nature or you go against Ishwara's rules, then what? Then you're in hell. Then you're suffering. Your mind is agitated. It's painful. And when you do right actions in harmony with your nature and in harmony with the dharma field, you feel good. You don't. You feel happy. You feel don't feel guilty. You feel satisfied and happy and righteous and good. That's called heaven. That's how we're going to define it here. <clears throat> so, and then, oh, yeah, it's too late to start on this topic. So we'll save that for the morning. And he just, it's very cool the way he, he says, Krishna is so cool. I, you just got to, you got to love this guy. <laughs> look at how he's so slick and so smooth and so kind. He doesn't say, you dumb bastard, what's wrong with you? Oh, you are the stupidest guy I ever met. You know, I should bust your ego or something. Not like that. What does he do? So he says, what does he say? He says, so far... Up till now, I've told you the wisdom of self-knowledge. Now listen to the wisdom of yoga. What he's saying is, you didn't get it. <laughs> but he said, oh no, I'll tell you some more knowledge, some more wisdom here. This one, maybe you'll get this one. Maybe you'll understand this one. So he's progressively coming down, down, down. What? So he can talk to us here. Because this is where we're stuck. We need karma yoga. And this is the fundamental, this is the basic teaching here of the Bhagavad Gita. This is the fundamental basic teaching. This is the basic teaching of all spiritual and religious practice and work. If you don't understand this, forget it. Nothing's going to work, I tell you. If you understand this clearly, then your spiritual life is going to really take off. So this is really the key to the whole thing. Everything else is built on this. The next stage, meditation, upasana yoga, and jnana yoga, the knowledge yoga, is all depends upon karma yoga. The different understanding what karma yoga is. It's a complex topic. It's not an easy topic. The self is a very easy topic. So there's nothing there's nothing mysterious about the self. Self is very pleasant, very ordinary, very simple. You only got a few words for it, and, and anyone can understand the self. But understanding karma uh, and action and the results of action and dharma... Uh, and how all those things fit together and making that work, that's very, very difficult. So we have to take our time and, and deal with it very patiently and very slowly so that you get it. 
And then things are going to work. As soon as you get this, things are going to work nicely. I guarantee it. And the rest of it will all fall into place. But without this, it's, it's... You just have to keep knocking your head against the spiritual wall over and over and over again. So. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.